This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com All right, folks, we're back here. I'm uh, joined by my buddy Susanna Caldwell. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. Former ADN reporter, and uh, now you're in the trash business. That's right. Yeah, I'm the recycling coordinator for Solid Waste Services for the municipality of Anchorage. So you uh, deal with the landfill? I do, yeah. Have you seen the Alaska Landmine? We have a section called the landfill. I do. I love it. It's our, our satire parody humor. So when I was a kid, uh, the kids used to always tell me, Jeff, landfill, ah, you smell, ah, you're garbage dump. It was horrible. Oh, landfill, you know, you should embrace it. The landfill is like a really crucial piece of infrastructure. Like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feat of engineering. It's really fascinating and it's important. Like if we didn't have a landfill, all of our trash would just hang out like in the community. When so I, yeah. When I was in third grade, I should have been like, hey folks, without a landfill, we're not going to have, like we're going to have trash everywhere. That's right. It would have been a good response well i also think like landfills are just really cool like kids love like heavy equipment there's a ton of heavy equipment out there so yeah like i think they'd be impressed don't you guys make methane you make gas yeah we have a gas collection system yeah so we collect all the gas that's created in the landfill and we uh we burn it we turn it into power yeah so let's let's get into the we'll, well later we'll talk about the garbage business um but let's talk let's go way back talk about you a little bit uh, so you're from Wasilla, right? That's right. Yeah, I moved there when I was a toddler. Grew up in Wasilla. Yeah, out in the Kinnick area, if people know where that is. So yeah, dog of or the daughter of a dog musher. And really? Yeah, yeah. So grew up. Yeah, kind of in a, like a one bedroom log cabin, very like rustic. I yeah. did. A, I did a rod musher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How would he do? He, you know, he he placed twenty fifth. That was like his like highest finish. Yeah. So he worked. You know, he had like a regular job too. So he was, you know, trying to make it, but what's, it's really difficult. What's the other one? The Yukon. The Yukon Quest. Quest, right? That's a hard. That's a hard one too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did he do that one? He never did that one. No. That goes into Canada. Yeah. Yeah. When I lived in Fairbanks, I used to cover that. I when I became a reporter later down the line. Yeah, I covered that one in the Editorod. So. So you were yeah. a reporter. At the ADN and somewhere else or just the... Yeah, I well, I, I lived in Fairbanks for two years and I worked at the Fairbanks Daily News Miner for two years. Um, and then after that, I moved to Alaska Dispatch when it was just online only. And then oh, later yeah. was part of the merger, yeah, when they, the dispatch bought the Anchorage Daily News. So you were there with like Craig and Amanda and Tony and all them? Or? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, I always say when the dispatch, when there was dispatch and ADN, I always thought it was really good because there was like a comp- healthy competition and each kind of one had their own thing, but they, you know, there was just, and then when they, when they merged or when they bought, I just, I, 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 I always wish I would have just stayed kind of one, but I mean, I think it's, you know, it's hard. To, I do the landmine. It's hard to make money. It's very hard to make money. Yeah, no, the competition was really good. And yeah, it definitely was like, it felt really scrappy when it was just dispatched. And then when it merged, it's like we had this much larger audience and I think we had more roles that we had to serve. And so I, I felt like it wasn't quite as scrappy, but it was still really important. Like it was it was good work. Were yeah. you in the hangar there? The I was, yeah. Wow. So how long were you at the dispatch for? Uh, in total, I was there for about five years. 
between well it was alaska dispatch for two years and then i was there for three years after the purchase it's funny how it was alaska dispatch and then was it alaska dispatch news mm-hmm. and then it was ad and now it's back to anchorage daily news mm-hmm. it's kind of gone full full circle i know i left before the change so i left right as the bankruptcy was happening yeah so probably a good time to where'd you go to the uh to work for the Muni. To the Way Service or the, what's it called? Solid Way Services, yeah. So we were talking before we started, and I totally just kind of spaced this, but um, we had a class together at UAA. Yeah. And I vividly remember this class because the professor was named, I think his name was Mark Dudick, and it was a persuasive writing class. So this is back in, what, what, 2006, maybe? Seven, yeah, I think, yeah. 2007, maybe, 2008, yeah. All I remember was this guy would always kind of be say very provocative things about like Bush or just political things. And I, don't know, I just didn't like sometimes I push back on him. Yeah. And what did you say earlier? That was your. It was my first experience with Jeff Lanfield. Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> was in a persuasive writing class at UAA. Yeah. Like 11 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. And I remember that you definitely, uh, yeah, were feisty. Like, I mean, like I just, who is this guy? Like, yeah. Why, yeah. I think I did. I remember I did a report um, on ice climbing. I remember I brought my ice climbing tools. It was remember we had to do like a speech or something. I don't remember a speech. Yeah, I don't. We had, I like, don't we had a maybe that was another class. Anyways, we had to like give a talk about one of our articles or papers we, we wrote. Anyways, that guy gave me. I got. I earned a B, right? And and we had the remember the blackboard. Yeah. So everything was on blackboard. The right? online like portal, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had the syllabus, and he had this weird grading thing where, like, like a 92 was a B or was some weird kind of, I don't know, grading system. But I, I got, like, an 87 or 86 based on all the papers we did. And, um, you know, him and I didn't get along because he'd always say stuff, and I'd push back on him. And, and he gave me a D. So the, the grades came out, and I got a D. And I was like, how the hell did I get a D? And so I tried to contact him, and, like, he wouldn't answer, wouldn't respond, so... It was kind of a long story, but I appealed the grade, which you can do, but I was told by the um, not the chancellor, what's the head of the, the, the dean. dean? I was told by their office that we basically this grade is almost never overturned or changed. But I had this, you know, blackboard document that showed me having an eighty six, and uh, we ended up it took like six months. And we ended up going because I needed that class to you know that was like a class I needed, and a D didn't do it, mm. so I went to like a review board with him and I gave my case and he gave his case and they ended up changing it. Yeah, that's awesome. I got a C in that class, which I was pretty bummed because I was like doing better too. I remember following my grades. I was like, like at least a B and then I got my final report and I was like, a C, what the heck? And uh, then I saw you like a year later and you told me you did that and I felt like I probably should have done should've the done same too, thing, yeah. but I didn't at the time. I just was like, oh, I guess I just screwed up at the end or something it's like arbitrary and capricious so, but then yeah i was like oh my god he was he yeah he gave us bad grades so. arbitrary anyway. and capricious grading yeah it was totally- so so you you spent another um time we met was my friend max who was gone he left the country in 08 for supposed to be a month and he's rush he's from ukraine he was in russia and he wasn't allowed through a kind of a mix-up and through a bureaucratic nightmare he spent he was gone for eight years and he finally was able to get back. I had helped him and done a lot of work. And you did an article about him coming back and about the whole kind of uh, debacle. It was a really good article. Thanks, yeah. It was, it was awesome. Remember, we met at Eddie's. 
Yeah, we met at Eddie. I met Max and you at Eddie's. Yeah, to just talk about everything. And I was at the airport when uh, he came back, and That's his right. dad was there. Yeah, it That's was right. pretty cool. It was yeah. a good little kind of invest. You know, wasn't like a one one day story. It took a little bit. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and it was complicated, and yeah, it was interesting, and yeah. So it's been a long time. I, I like don't remember too many of the details, but yeah, it was yeah, that a good was story. like uh, trying to think. That was like fifteen, maybe or yeah, sixteen. That was three or four years ago. Yeah, probably. So why why did you decide to go into journalism or reporting? To go, uh, well, I've always loved the news, yeah. Um, I was like that kid, like that nerdy kid in like middle school, like reading the newspaper every morning. And yeah, nice. I just really loved it. I love I loved writing. I love talking to people. Like I, uh, you know, I just have like broad interests, I think. So um, yeah, to me, journalism just seemed like a really good fit. And then I started doing it and I really enjoyed it. So you graduated and you moved to Fairbanks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, got a job and yeah, went and worked at uh, Fairbanks Daily News Miner. Yeah. What was your first? What was your first? Do you remember your first story, or did they say, "Hey, go oh. go cover this," or go? Yeah, I well, I was a features reporter, so I was doing like arts and entertainment. It was like very soft stuff. It was like interviewing musicians and artists. And I do remember one of the first stories I had, like this whole, there was a board for a drama association that all quit when the executive director left. And I remember there's just drama around it. And I was like so new to the town. I didn't know anything about it. But drama in drama. Drama in drama. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I, that was one of my first stories. I mean, I don't think it was like groundbreaking or anything like that, but it was important to the community at the time to like the arts community. Cause there was just like chaos at this Did- one theater board. Yeah. Did you find your own stories or did you get leads or did you, your editor, I mean, both, everything? Or? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. I think most of my time as a reporter, I I was finding my own stories. Yeah. See, with, that, with me and this landmine thing I started a couple of years ago, what I kind of found is I don't have to do a story. I don't have a newspaper to, we have to publish every day. So we can be a lot, I can be a lot more picky about what I, what I do. And some other friends who are actual reporters for the, for the newspapers or even TV, like they have to have a story every day. Yeah, I mean, I think it just depends on on the outlet and what you're doing. I mean, I know like I would have to cover breaking news beats, right? And then you really don't have time to to go out and do other kinds of investigative work. You're you're just basically f- like just following up on whatever is happening that day, whether it's a murder or plane crashes or or anything like that. What was, what so, was, what was the coolest yeah. story you ever you ever did? Like, what stands out as wow, this was like great travel somewhere crazy or some big high profile murder i mean i was really lucky to like get to travel the state and to go into villages which like i feel like no one gets a reason to go do that right unless they're going out to work and and i was really lucky in that i was a reporter so i got to go in and actually like talk to people and like learn about the communities and um that was just really special because i feel like everywhere else i've traveled i've never experienced anything like uh like villages in alaska uh i went to diomede like that was incredible like right on the border yeah um so just spent like a like a half day there just yeah talking to people did kind of like a travel piece on it but yeah it was that was really cool um i covered the adidarod i covered like dog mushing for a long time so um which was like great given like my background growing up with it and then getting getting to go out and follow that race and to go into the communities and meet people was really really challenging and and very interesting did you you know it like recognize a lot of the mushers from your Growing up, I knew some of them. Yeah, definitely. They're like, oh my God, Susan- hey, little Susanna. Yeah, what are you doing? What yeah. are you doing here? Yeah, a lot of people. Are like, I like your dad. Your dad's a good guy. <laughs> like, so yeah, that was kind of funny. But I was like, I'm my own person. I'm like, I'm here. I'm here to do my own thing. So yeah, it was good. It was like, it was really challenging, but it was really fun. And yeah. So why did you come to? Why did you move to Anchorage? Uh, to go to UIA. Mm-hmm. 
after you oh, were oh after oh after, after oh um I got a job at the dispatch yeah wow that, I, yeah I just that's like I, I know Amanda Coyne pretty well and I just like very nostalgic when I I used to love like Craig Medrid stuff mm-hmm. I still talk to him he still does his he has his website Craig Medrid blog and mm-hmm. he um he's on another level that guy. <laughs> <laughs> It's a. It was a great time. It was. It was exciting. It felt really different. Like I, I feel really lucky that I got to be a part of it. Who else yeah. was, was Lauren there? Holmes? Yeah, he was I, there. Mm-hmm. Lauren was there. Yeah, so me, Alex DeMarbin, Lauren, uh, Laurel Andrews, Ben Anderson, um, a lot of people who aren't working in journals. Jill Burke was there. Yeah, that's um, right. I remember she, she was Channel Two, right? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Amanda Coyne. Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah. It was. It was. It was just really exciting, and we were. It was just a really small little group, and it just felt really special. And so it was yeah. like you kind of go to work, and everybody like the collaborate, collaborative, and yeah. sharing tips and stories, the, and yeah, yeah, all of that, and like they actually fed us, which was really wild. Like they had like a like a whole kitchen stocked with like lunch stuff and breakfast stuff, and uh, so we would all like eat together. Like it was very. It, it was just you know it was great for like team building and camaraderie so yeah, yeah I work it was with, really special I work with you know Paxson Welber you know him mm-hmm. so we work we did the Campbell Lake piece and we do other stuff together so I just before I came here I was over at Steam Dot working on something and I just I, I tell him I wish it'd be nice if we had an actual like an office with three or four or f- five and people and just doing this because we could do so I mean, we could produce so much content if we had that but I mean it's just going back to the you got to pay for it and Gotta have an office and rent, and the more you do, the more money you have to have. becomes yeah. becomes a little more challenging. Yeah, I mean, we were working when when Alice was funding everything. So I need to find yeah. me an I need to find me an Alice. <laughs> if you know anybody, folks, who uh, wants to like like the Midnight Sun, Jim Lotzfeld, he kind of right. So I need to find somebody. I call him a, like a sugar daddy, sugar <laughs> mama. I'll take either one. I'm, there you go. Yeah. There, there's no, there's no uh, discrimination here. We'll <laughs> we'll take anything. So. Because okay, so you're doing all this new stuff and reporting, and then how'd the how'd this waste management or this solid waste services job come up? Yeah, uh, so I I was just looking for a change. You know, I was a reporter for like ten years, and um, I loved it. I mean, it was really exciting. It was interesting stuff, but um, it's hard, right? It's like it's just kind of emotionally taxing and. Um, the, the pay is not good, is it? I mean, the pay is very low. It's not, yeah. And I think I, I kind of struggled to see where I was going with it all. Um, I, you know, I, I just didn't. I was working, you know, at the Alaska Dispatch News, the largest newspaper in the state. I just, I wasn't really sure like where I was going to go from there, right? When you're a reporter at that, I mean, that's kind of the biggest game in town, right? Um, what's, what's the next, like an editor, maybe? Is that yeah, the next? yeah. I, and I, but the thing about being an editor is I didn't want to just stay in the office, which, uh, and I think editors are. Are amazing. I loved all the editors that I worked with, but I just didn't want to do it myself. I like to get out. I like to meet people and talk to people and see new things. And so like being an editor would have just meant being at a desk all day. And I just didn't want to do that. Um, and so, yeah, so I felt like I just didn't see where like my kind of next opportunity was. And I just thought, you know, maybe this isn't for me anymore. Like, I, you know, um, I, I just don't know if my, my lifestyle is like suited for that. Like I... I, I just I struggled a little bit with with being on all the time. I think when you're a reporter, you're like always trying to find stories, um, mm-hmm. which is really exciting and really I mean, good. But it, it sometimes can be really stressful. Well, I'll, I'll be relaxing and you know just home, and I'll get an email, and it's I'm like it's something really. I'm like, oh my god, and then it's just you go from like laying down watching a mo- to movie to like, oh shit, I have to like start researching and calling, and and, and it could be at like nine o'clock at night. But it's a really good tip, and it's something that's important. And 
I totally know what you. I mean, I've only been in this a few years, and it's it gets very. Sometimes it gets very taxing emotionally. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I was on call all the time, um, and and you know that was just difficult for me, and I, I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing it, and so I, I just kind of thought, okay, you know, between. Between that and the pay, because it really, I mean, I do think we need to pay journalists so much more. And I understand the realities of, of the economics of, of newsrooms, right? But gosh, I mean, they are doing such important work. Um, well, like, look, at, look at like. And it's such a specific skill set. Like, I feel like we should just compensate people fairly for that. And look what yeah. happens. I mean, Megan Baldino, she was at, you know, Channel 2 for a long time. And then she went to Shell and GCI and now BP. And then Grace Jang, she was really good. She went to work with. Bill Walker, Austin Baird, great, you know, he was on Channel 2. He went to work for the governor, not governor, now he's working for the legislature. So a lot of the really good reporters, I, I noticed, they do it for a while, but then they get a job somewhere else in the private sector and or for the governor, you know, working as a press secretary, and they're making like two times as much or sometimes more, three times as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, I. I, I can understand where where they're coming from. Um, so yeah, for me, I was just ready to move on and do something else. Again, I, I just I, I really do think at the end of the day, I don't know if it was for me really. Like again, like like being call on call all the time was really difficult for me. So Did it for ten years. Uh, well, I worked as a journalist for ten years. Yeah, and I was at ADM for five. Wow, that's yeah. a lot. It's like your whole kind of early twenties and. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, my yeah, the first my whole yeah early adult experience yeah. So, so were you look like were you actively looking or did you tell people hey I'm looking for work like how'd you find the yeah the, the it, trash job yeah it was more of the latter it was just kind of like hey I think I'm ready to make a change and I I didn't really know what I wanted to do um you know I kind of thought about going back to school or something like that and I don't know nothing really like you know really called out to me or whatever so but it was kind of telling people like yeah I'm ready for a change I'm just not sure what that was and uh, eventually it, it got around to people that the, there was a job opening as a recycling coordinator for the city and um, I, I I always loved reporting on uh, the things that make cities work that we don't really think about right so like water and energy and, and trash and all that stuff and I, I'd done a few stories on recycling but not that many um, but I was really interested in it um, and so when that position came about, a friend was like, hey, you should think about applying for it. So I did. And, you know, a, a big part of recycling is communication. So I, I, I had the background for it, uh, even if I didn't know a lot about the recycling system or the trash system or whatever. But so you work for the learn. you work for the so the, the solid waste, that's like a kind of utility or is it a entity of the city or do you work for the city or do you work for? Yeah, so I work for the city. So I work for uh, the the municipality of Anchorage Department of Solid Waste Services, which is uh, it's two utilities. It's a disposal utility, so that's like the landfill or any of the transfer stations or anything like that. Um, and then we also have a collection utility where we're actually picking up trash from um, a certain portion of Anchorage. So a lot of that's private, right? I know I pay like Alaska Waste fifty bucks a quarter or something to. Yeah. So the way it works is that um, if you live basically north of Northern Lights Boulevard, um, it's a mandatory service area. And that's where we operate. And that's based in the 1950s. The city of Anchorage decided we're going to have a mandatory service area. And so anybody who lives in that area has to have trash with solid waste services and Alaska waste can't come in. The flip side of that is we can't offer service outside of that area. So everybody who lives basically south of Northern Lights Boulevard, it's open market. So um, there's a lot of commercial, like Alaska Waste is the largest one, but there's also like Blue Arctic and Northern Waste and stuff like that. There's the uh, Bernadette Wilson one too, Denali Disposal. Mm -hmm. I just know about that because, well, I know Chris talked, but also there's the uh, Spinard Palm Tree. 
that became a big were you following that I mean, yeah, I followed, yeah, I followed it. it was yeah, crazy. it was. <laughs> Wait, yeah. It's like the palm tree is in hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. I think in the legal, in the case, there was something like it didn't undisclose location or something. They wouldn't, they wouldn't tell them. I just read the story. Yeah, I did. I like. I will say, I do nothing about it outside of that. Yeah, it's it. pretty funny. So, I mean, you've been there for now a couple of, over two years. Yeah. And what's your? You said recycling. So you deal with just recycling. You deal with. Yeah, so I'm the recycling coordinator, but uh, part of my duty is also just public information officer for solid waste services. So um, I, my big thing is I do all the recycling programming. So uh, whether that's we give out grants, we also operate like our own collection programs. Um, I do outreach and education. I come up with materials and stuff that other folks in the city can use to spread the word about recycling and how to do it right. I set up programs like we have some composting programs that I've set up, um, you know, some class recycling programs that we have going. Um, so those are all kind of under my purview. And then I also just I kind of answer any questions people might have just about trash and Anchorage in general, because the landfill is the only disposal site uh, in the municipality of Anchorage. There's only one landfill. There's there's nowhere else to take your trash. So how much trash do we produce here at Anchorage? I don't know. Do you have like a daily or monthly or yearly or? Yeah, so we, uh, I've got some figures. Uh, yeah, so we produce about 300,000 tons of trash a day in, or in the, or 300,000 tons of trash a year um, in the municipality. That works out to about 1,200 tons a day or about six pounds per person per day. So, wow, yeah, that it's, much. Mm-hmm, it's pretty high. It's actually higher than the national. 300,000 tons. Yeah, yeah. We have about 150 uh, garbage trucks that come through every day that are that are dropping off trash, and then you know residents are coming in as well. And I, mean, uh, I think yeah. you made a good point earlier about the things that make cities work. I mean, just imagine if just trash collection just stopped. Like in a, I mean, it would be it would be like chaos. Yeah, I mean, in some places it does, right? Like when uh, sanitation workers go on strike, like in New York City, there's been numerous times where sanitation workers go on strike and trash like just literally starts piling it up, piling up. And of course, that's New York City; it's huge. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if we didn't get our trash picked up, it would also pile up on the street. So yeah, it's a really crucial piece of infrastructure, like the landfill and all of the. Uh, the transfer station and all of all of the equipment that we operate to make that happen, like it really keeps our community safe and, and beautiful. So, so the landfill. I mean, you said it's the only one. Is it? Is it? Is there plenty of space left? Or I mean, is, how are we doing as far as? Is it like the capacity, or can it can it take a lot more? Yeah. So the fi- the landfill is a finite space. Uh, you know, it's thirty years old, um, and uh, we've got about forty years of life left on it. So we've got a good amount of time, but it's still like within the realm of our lifetime. So we're really committed to trying to extend that as much as possible. And uh, you know, recycling is a really great way to do that. You know, we also you know trying to refine our compaction techniques out there to make sure that we're we're you know maximizing airspace at the landfill. So yeah, I do think people should think about the landfill though more. I know we just throw stuff away, right? It's like so easy. You don't think about it, but that has to go somewhere, and it ends up going to our landfill, and that's going to fill up one day. So what goes uh, everything like like trash, couches, TV, like does all, all that stuff go there? Or does some stuff go some like? Would a TV go there, or a couch, or a, a bed a mattress? Yeah, I mean, all of those things can go there. I mean, I would encourage you to, like, recycle uh, your TV um, or any sort of electronics. Or if you have furniture, I would try to, like, see if you can take it to a uh, Goodwill or something like that to get reused. Those are sort of, like, the first options. But, yeah, when those those items come to the end of their useful life, right, they end up in the landfill. Yeah. I mean, we don't take... Um, 
like uh, uh, radioactive waste. You, you can't you can't put that. <laughs> There's in the uranium. Here, <laughs> yeah, take that. that doesn't go in. Um, and uh, we don't take like liquids. And so like if you have paint or household cleaners or like stuff like that, you're supposed to take it to household hazardous waste. So or batteries or anything like that. There's certain things that we don't want in the landfill, even though the landfill is lined. And so uh, and we monitor the groundwater to make sure that like you know nothing is seeping out of the landfill. Um, you know, we, we do want to keep certain things out of it from the start. But for the most part, yeah, pretty much everything will end up in there. Yeah. So how does the gas, the, you said there's the gas thing where I understand you, you compact it and bury it and eventually it becomes a gas. Is that how that works or am I, am I wrong? Well, yeah. So, uh, so we, we have a landfill, right? And every day we put all this trash in it and it's a mix of organic and inorganic material, right? And so when the organic material, so like the food you don't eat or grass or dog poop or anything like that, when that goes into the landfill, we end up burying it every day, right? Um, to Do keep- you separate the organics or... We're trying with with some of the programs that we have going. Yeah, we we are trying to get more of that out of the landfill through like our curbside organics, where we're collecting like yard trimmings and food scraps, and then we have a couple food scrap drop offs at the transfer station in the landfill. So we're trying to and we we take that and we compost it. Um, but with the gas, you know, we we put all this organic material into the landfill. It gets buried, and when it's in there, it's decomposing anaerobically. Right when it does that, it produces methane. Versus, like, if you compost that organic material, it, it doesn't create methane, right? It's an aerobic uh, decomposition process. And so, anyway, so we we still collect all the methane that gets produced, though, right? And so, and we basically filter it out, and then there's a power plant on the other side of the landfill that's operated by Doyon Utilities. Um, and they take uh, that methane, and they burn it, and they turn it into energy that powers about 25% of J-Bear. So, so how do they get there a pipe? Yep, there's a whole series of like pipelines like running through the landfill. So how long yeah. does it take to for the methane to get created? Uh, it takes like five to seven years for uh, for the we call them cell. The landfill is made up of cells, and so it takes about five to seven years for the cell to start producing methane. Wow, that's inc- so. So it started when they built it. They started the infrastructure, and then it took five or seven years to to start producing the methane. And yeah. then now it's on like a cycle where they keep replenishing it and there's I guess unlimited methane as long as there's trash is that we've always had to have a methane collection system um, and before we just had a flare and we still have a flare because we still end up flaring a little bit of the methane you can't just let it be emitted into the atmosphere right yeah it's really gross yeah and of course I mean it's a super potent greenhouse gas so you don't want that into going into the atmosphere um, and so, yeah, we've always had um, a flare that's collected it. But, um, yeah, in 2012, we built the power plant so we could have some sort of beneficial use for that versus just flaring it off. Right? So do you guys, this power plant, does, who, who pays, like, I guess J-Bear pays for the power? Or? Yeah, Doyon. Yeah, Doyon. So, and they, they provide the power to, to J-Bear. Yeah. So is this something other, I mean, other landfills do? Is this a common? Yeah, it's a, yeah, a lot of landfills have landfill gas to energy systems. Yeah. Wow. It's not like I mean it's not like every single one I guess but there's like there there's enough that they have conferences about it you know so there's there's a few that are doing it. It's incredible yeah. how much you know about it. I mean you've been doing it 2 years but you seem like you really know a lot. You're It's so interesting. Using like really big anaerobic <laughs> and all these very specific Trash is a treasure. I love it. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, everybody, I think the one thing I really love about trash is like, uh, we all engage in trash every day and like we can't get away from it. You could like, be the poorest person or the richest person. 
but you're still producing trash. Right. And I think like uh, every person that comes into our community creates some trash, right? Like we and so we need we need infrastructure to take care of it. And so yeah, I think I think it's really important. I also think it's a really easy thing that we can do to kind of, you know, we're we're all talking about sustainability right now and what we're going to do to like mitigate the effects of climate change and I do think that um, recycling and reducing your waste is like a really easy way to start making changes that will mm. make a big difference in the long run, right? So, um, yeah, I so, don't know. It's cool on very many levels. So when you started two years ago, I mean, you, I assume, didn't, you maybe knew a little bit from reporting, but you didn't really, you, you weren't like by any means where you are now knowledge-wise. Right. So it took you... What three months? Six? I mean, how long did it take you to kind of get sped, spun up on all this stuff? I mean, I think I'm still learning, like every day. Um, you know, one thing I uh, I would say, like after about a year, I was feeling like pretty good. Um, I mean, I, again, I every day. I mean, people come to me with like weird questions about recycling or whatever. What do I do with this? What do I do with that? You know, and and I I have to look up a lot of that stuff because I mean, packaging changes. There's a lot of it's just a complicated thing, right? Um, but I, um, I will say one thing I think is really interesting about solid waste is I don't think anyone decides to like get into it like as a job. Like if you talk to like pretty much everyone I work with or even people who work in recycling all over the country, if you said, oh, when you were in college, did you think you were going to go work at a landfill? Like no one, no one yeah, gets into that. Yeah, it's not something that. like not doctor or lawyer or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we don't think it's like a very sexy job, but it's such an important job. And um, yeah, so and then I think once people get into it, we realize just like how interesting it is and how important it is. And um, I mean, everyone I work with loves it. I mean, we all, I mean, and I think, you know, having conversations like this, it's like, oh, wow, it's like way more interesting than I would have thought. So, so when you started, did you have uh, like a, a mentor or a boss, somebody, I mean, were you the public affairs person or was somebody there to you, to talk to and kind of teach you or a little guide you? Yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, I, I work with a really great crew at Solid Waste Services. We just have um, a lot of really intelligent people who've been there for a long time who, who know how to deal with things. So I think I just leaned on my colleagues, um, you know, for just sort of like that technical information. Um, and then I think, you know, just using my communication skills to just try to get the word out about things. And, um, you know, I, I do think one thing that's interesting is that journalism set me up well for this job in terms of like, I used to have these questions brought to me, right, that I would like research and then I would turn into a story, right? I, I still have the same thing. I still have these big questions like related to recycling or whatever. But instead, and I still have to go and do research and figure stuff out about it. But instead of writing a story, I like put a program together or I, you know, do some sort of coordinated messaging campaign, you know, trying to get people mm -hmm. to recycle right or something like that. So like the end product is different, but the skills that led me to it are are at their heart kind of the same. So I have an idea and I'm sure it's not cost effective, but my idea for trash is to put it on rocket ships and put it in space. <laughs> Because then we just kind of get rid of it forever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Might be, might be a little expensive, though. I think it would be very expensive. You have to get like yeah. a big rocket ship. Yeah. And then you put a lot of trash. Maybe even radio radioactive. Maybe that's the mm. solution for the radioactive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's stuff. Yeah. It's hard Unless to do. Unless the rocket with. like blows up and you're like, and you're stuck with all the, <laughs> it's back. Just rains down. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so, I mean, so it sounds like you like it there a lot and you're, I mean, it's such a, it's one of those kind of niche, like nobody thinks about, but I'd love to do at some point, I don't know what the rules are, but we'd love to go in there and do like a video story on the landfill. I mean, I've, I think media has done that before. I've seen some stories where they've been out there, but mm -hmm. I've, I've been here 15 years and I've driven by the landfill. Whenever I drive by it, I think of the kids who used to make fun of me and 
middle school, pre, you know, not preschool, um, elementary school. Yeah. So do, I, I, I see the sign. Yeah. You, you should definitely come out. Yeah. No, we would, I'd be happy to have you. Yeah. That'd be great. Be cool to do a little video. Like, you know, what, what is the land? How many people work there? About 30. Yeah. 30 uh, at the landfill, just the landfill. Then we also have two transfer stations and an admin crew. So there's about 130 people, 140 total. So who's, the, who's, who's the head, who's in charge of the solid waste? Mark Spafford is the general manager. He's probably been there for a while, I'm, I'm guessing. He's actually new. He's only been there for uh, about three years, three and a half. Yeah. So. He might be a good podcast too. What, what did he do before that? Uh, he used to work at AWU. Uh, he yeah, he was like their ops manager. Yeah, so he's listening the, to this, and I'm wrong. I'm sorry about that. Sorry, Mark. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> so it was the other. It's a water yeah. waste utility. The Anchorage Water and Wastewater Utility. Yeah. So are yeah. you are you are you involved at all um, in the conversations? I'm sure you're aware of this new stormwater utility. Is that? That's not really a trash thing, I guess. It's just water. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I kind of follow it just as like, you know, another utility that could potentially happen. But yeah, I, I don't really know the, the ins and outs of it. Yeah. So what's the uh, since you've been doing this job? What's the most interesting thing you've learned, or has something kind of stuck out as like, wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think just like the sheer amount of trash. Like, I every time I go to the landfill, I am just like amazed at how much trash is there. You know, because um, I think it gets tucked away, right? You know, like we're there's garbage cans and rooms and dumpsters out back, and I we don't really think about it. But then when you see it all in one place, it's like, damn, like that's like big mountain. Yeah, it's it? just a ton of trash. Yeah, and of course, my job is to try to keep that out, right, and to try to find beneficial uses for it. But um, yeah, it, it just is, um, it's tough, yeah, so. Have they ever I, found, I mean, people, I'm sure they've found like a wallet or a watch, or do you ever find, people ever find stuff there? Or at that point, it's already so, kind of just, they dump it and nobody looks. Once in a while, someone will try to come find something that they've lost, but it is very, very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about it, say if you throw something away in your, you know, your roll cart, right, you know, and it gets into a, a, a garbage truck and then the garbage truck goes to the transfer station and then from the transfer station it gets put in a transfer truck and then it goes out to the landfill. I mean, if you wanted to try to get it, it would be very difficult. So, But there's some cool yeah. stuff in there. If you really spend some time digging around. <laughs> well, there's no scavenging allowed. So it's oh, like really? a very strict so you can't just rule go, in our permit. Yeah. You can't just go, like, is it secured or is it, how do you, I've never been there before. So. Yeah. I mean, there's like a, a, you know, at the landfill, there's a, um, a fence with like barbed wire around it. Yeah. No scavenging. But, oh. Yeah. But, but I mean, no, I don't think people would ever break in to try to do it. I mean, it, we end up burying the trash every night. We cover it with, with dirt or, um, we try to use other stuff sometimes in order to save airspace. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it would it would not be. Also, we there are these giant one one thing I wanted to mention. We have these compactors, which is a big piece of heavy equipment. It weighs like a hundred thousand pounds. Um, it's just like a giant Mad Max looking thing. It has these wheels that have these like metal spikes that come out of them. Oh uh, <laughs> it's really intense. Those are my favorite. Um, and the, but anyway, the the whole point of the compactor is it goes up and down on the trash to try to pack it all down to densify it. Right. So. Um, even if there was stuff there, it would get all crunched and broken, and yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't so, be good. So yeah. this new plastic bag ban. I mean, I assume that means. I guess that means less plastic. Was plastic bags an issue blown around? I mean, did they just get compacted and they go away? Or 
plastic bags are definitely an issue out at the landfill. Yeah, I mean, if you would come out there, like they blow around. I mean, we do a lot to try to mitigate all of the plastic bags and other things that blow around. You know, we have like litter fencing and our crews out there will actually work different parts of the face. We, we call the, the part where we put the trash the working face of the landfill. Um, and so we would try to work different parts of it, you know, just to keep, make sure like if the wind is blowing in one place that, you know, we work in another area. Um, and yeah, and we have people who are out there actually like picking up all of this litter, right? And so plastic bags were like a huge part of it. Um, so yeah, so, you know, anything we can do to keep those out, I think is is really beneficial for the landfill. In terms of airspace, you know, I mean, plastic bags are really a small portion, but mm-hmm. but in terms of the mess, like it's not right. good. Yeah. Well, this has been a great uh, conversation. I, I want to actually want to go out there at some point. I don't know if, if you can set that up. You're the yeah. person. That, you're the person to talk to. I, I assume, right? I can make it happen. Do you have a key? You know? <laughs> I don't have a key, but you just like roll your badge, and they're like, "Oh, Susanna's here." Everybody, back, back, back away. Basically, basically, she's coming in. They all go hide because I like bring reporters with me, and so then they're all like, "Oh boy, we gotta hide." So. Get away. <laughs> so, do you, where, where do you work? Is like, is there an office or? Yeah, I work at the Central Transfer Station. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that the big undowling over? Is it? Yeah, there's an admin building, and um, yeah, so there's a uh, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, off of uh, yeah, Old Seward. Is that part of the? There's like the big where the uh, cardboard boxes go. Is that you guys, or is that somebody else? Uh, so the recycle center is different. Yeah, the Anchorage Recycling Center is close by, but it's operated by a private company. And that, they, so they just send that stuff to. I guess I heard they send it to like Seattle or something, or they, yeah. bar, they barge it. Most of the recycling in Anchorage ends up going to uh, the lower 48. It goes down to Tacoma. Um, but there are a few things that stay here. Glass stays here, actually. We work with a local um, recycling company that turns it into uh, basically uh, gravel. And so you can use it in construction projects. And then some newspaper ends up going out to, uh, there's a place in the valley that turns it into insulation. Um, and then all of the organics we're collecting, so like food scraps, stuff like that, um, that's going to another uh, recycling company to be composted. You like some kind of Venn diagram here. To, <laughs> what's going on? It lines, yeah. So, yeah. Well, thank you for coming in, and I uh, appreciate it. Good conversation. Going back old school to, to the persuasive writing class back in 07. Wow. Yeah, throwback. Time, time flies. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to follow up with you about doing something with the landfill at some point. Cool, yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. So I want to thank you for coming in, and... Um, you're pretty. You're pretty. Uh, you're pretty informed on this stuff. You really know your. You know your trash. I like talking trash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Chris talked one point during the last a couple of sessions ago. He was talking about Bernadette, and um, you know, she used to be on the radio, and he said this on the floor in the in the house. He goes, you know, she used to talk trash, and now she takes out the trash. And I was like, I was watching it. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty similar kind of business. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for coming in, Susanna Caldwell, and um, keep in touch and keep uh, keep keep us keep the trash moving. Okay. All right, I'll try. Yeah, All thanks, right. uh, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Landline.